Hello, welcome to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA, 1610 AM, and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show at either of SoundCloud.com or iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station in the Arts area. We have a Twitter account. It is at Fenton Mediation, so follow us. Our topic tonight is called Thoughts, Intentions, and Realizations into Mediation Practice with our visitors, Jordan O'Connor and Vincent Arnoni. Also sitting in here is the uh, Radio Elf. Hi. Hello. How you Hi, doing? Odala. I'm okay. I'm, to tell you the truth, I'm in anticipatory mourning. Because? Mourning. It's evening time now. Yeah, okay. Let's call it anticipatory grieving. Because? Well, um, there is a plan. Uh, we have a plan to um, say goodbye to our, to our dear cat, uh, Blaine, on Thursday. He's been sick. Yeah. And... Uh, we just don't want to have him go on. He's so been sick for a while, though. Yeah, and he. this is the third time he's made it back from the brink, and it's just, um, I don't know. I, I think it's we're at a point where it's just because we love him so much, we don't want to let him go, and it's not really fair to him. I think that's a dilemma many of us who have our animal friends, you know, go through as a struggle because we're... You know, we want that animal in our lives. They oh, built yeah. up that c- connection, and then we become selfish when there's a concern, a possibility they may have to move on to another world. Yeah, he's the sweetest boy, really. And um, he's fought back and been just a wonderful, wonderful part of our family. And so I'd just like all the listeners to hold Blaine in your thoughts. All right. And... Um, yeah. We do, for sure. Okay. So sitting adjacent to you are two people without the name of Jason. <laughs> one is Jordan and one is Vincent. Welcome to uh, Mediation Station tonight, guys. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate you having us on. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. So Jordan, just to note, has uh, been here before, recently in July, was on uh, more mediation role play on air. It's a effort we made to provide an educational opportunity for people to learn of and about mediation. It was an improvised way in some way, and Jordan was the mediator. So there's a YouTube video of that. You can go check it out. More mediation will play on air. And uh, Jordan will be, will be available after the show tonight for autographs. For sure. I'm really? going to get me one. You're going to get you one? Yeah. Well, you're right there. Mm. 50 bucks a piece. <laughs> <laughs> You're his agent now. <laughs> well, that's good. You guys are. Uh, you guys know each other. So thanks for being here. How about you each start off by sharing some information about uh, each of yourselves? Start with you, Jordan. Uh, my background is in the arts. I uh, started playing music when I was younger and then became a free- freelance musician when I was 16. And then 
In my mid-twenties, I got into film, in addition to music, and originally as a composer. Uh, but then I soon found myself working as a picture editor uh, for short-form films, long-form films. And that's been going on until now. I'm in 46. And last fall, I decided, almost, uh, sorry, last uh, winter, I decided uh, kind of spur of the moment to become, to take the York uh, mediation course. And this was kind of a happy accident. I was in a bookstore uh, just off Young, and there was a misshelved book um, uh, called, uh, what was it? Having Conversations, or Change the Conversation. And I, I thought, well, what is this? And I opened it up, and I started reading these little excerpts, and I thought, this is something I've been been doing in my own way in, in different formats my whole life so I became interested in, in this idea of mediation without really knowing or have ever heard the term mediation so I went home and like all of us I googled it and happened to come across that York was going to be having a course that started in about a week or two after that and I thought what why not I've been looking for something uh, different direction I'm always open to different experiences different opportunities and so getting into mediation was an opportunity to explore this whole very impromptu uh, experience, but as I said, something that is very connected to what I've been doing since I was a kid, really. There are no accidents. You know that, right? There's happy accidents. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I think one of the things... It was meant to be. <coughs> meant to be thing? It may... I, I think there are these moments where we can do things based upon something improvisational so yeah a happy accident can create how do we see that happy accident what do we make of that happy accident how do we build from these experiences otherwise we're in a situation where we feel like life is happening to us and if we're able to participate with these more spontaneous moments then it feels like there's a surprise there's an opportunity and then within that there's a potential to maybe go in a direction that we hadn't planned and I, and I think at the end of the day um, many of us are looking for a surprise, and we feel frustrated when there are no surprises in our lives. But the question is, is can we take those happy accidents and turn them into surprises that we can experience in ways that take us down different paths? And, how, about uh, how about you, Mr. Vincent? Well, I met, uh, I actually met Jordan through that, and I met yourself, Greg, through that uh, same program you were talking about. Well, my entrance wasn't as spontaneous, but... Uh, what was your entrance? Um, well, to be honest with you, when I was going to university, I took a mediation. It was part of like the program I was in. I felt like it was interesting, like some similar to what you said. I felt like I've been kind of doing that my whole life anyway. When I found out it was kind of a little lane there, and I found out about this York opportunity, I took it, and you know that's where we are today, sitting in the uh, recording studio. But yeah, though, when you took the program, you had some intention, didn't you? Absolutely, absolutely. I well, still do. Um, definitely want to see what I could do professionally as a mediator, I'd say, ideally. Um, I learned about this kind of one-on-one coaching stuff. That interests me for sure. Still just getting my feet wet, barely scratching the surface, but definitely have some uh, professional ambitions with that for sure. So let, let's unpack each of you a little bit more in the sense... What types of situations cause each of you to struggle the most? Um, for me personally, if I just feel 
I'm pretty I'm a pretty honest guy. The situations I struggle with are when I feel like people aren't being honest with me. Um, and I'm still learning on how to deal with that. It could sometimes I can get upset by it. I could get frustrated by it um, just because I feel like someone else is maybe not putting 100% into the relationship if I feel like I am. Well, how do you know, though, that they are not being honest or not investing into the relationship as you would hope? That's an interesting question because there's no, there's no kind of formula for it. It's just kind of a, a feeling type of thing. And um, kind of the main thing I've been dealing with lately is just trying to identify when there's kind of a, a negative vibe around someone or a positive vibe. And uh, Was it part of your gut, your intuition thing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you do sales too, right? I do, do so sales. So there's a lot of intuition going on. Exactly. It just doesn't, quote, feel right. Exactly. It's, um, there's no statistics for it, really, you know? But Generally, in a way, you can't quantify it. Exactly. That's kind of what I like about mediation aspect, too. I I took a law course that was kind of all statutes, a lot of rules, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Mediation is a little more free-flowing, which is, I think... It can be. It can be, ideally. And there are those in the field or profession who, who want that concrete definition as to what when you say the word mediation it's supposed to be this construct right and then there's our others of us who are more open-ended about what that could be and what it is and what it'll, it'll eventually become in whatever way exactly i definitely follow that path but that that's an interesting conundrum because on the one hand there's a movement and i've seen this if you look at art history say music you see these particularly fertile periods where innovation is really at the forefront. And anything goes. People are trying, people are experimenting. And then you see a kind of reductionist period where we now need to control and quantify what that is. And so it turns into a giant ebb and flow between this manifesting, creating, and this controlling and contriving. And I read this quote uh, recently I thought was interesting in this book called uh, Leadership uh, and the New Science, that every time we measure something, we interfere. And I think it speaks to this idea that in mediation and art in different areas, that when we try and control something, we start to lose something. Yet, we feel that we have to control it to have it. But when we don't have something, we are actually free. So there's a paradox of, of control that, that takes place that takes us into these really ultimately negative situations where we then spend most of our time trying to hold on to things, control things, whether it's on an organizational level, a relationship level, uh, even in a really, I've gone into offices for meetings and I'll see all these signs in the kitchen about don't put your cup here, don't do all this passive aggressive talk about controlling the cup, controlling the entire Well, a lot of people want definition as to how they, you know, their worldview and their pathway within that worldview. And so they want concretes and it's not really uh, amenable for many uh, others who don't need that kind of definition. Some people want concrete and some people are they're okay with a swamp maybe. I think that when you you have something innovative and cutting edge and that's really kind of blowing people's minds and and making a difference that there's a movement towards um, 
trying to to va uh, validate it and make it credible and be able to earn a living from it and to then have standardization and have designations and qualifications mm -hmm. to do it properly and and then um, and then it kind of messes up that initial kind of magic that comes with it. Do you do you, do you find that, Vincent? I mean, what do you think? I 100% feel that way. An example I like to use is um, you'll you'll I think we probably talked about yeah. this, Jordan. When uh, a band is making their first album, I feel like that first album is usually so raw and like emotional. Then the big uh, record companies get a hold of them, and the next couple albums are on the radio. You know, it's not the same feeling. It's more, and they're probably better technical players, but there's just too many people around, too much control around it. It's not the same piece of art. And I kind of look at a lot of things like that. For me personally, I don't want people kind of, I don't, I don't want as many rules or as many, um, some people feel more comfortable with like more of a script. I feel the exact opposite. It gives me a little anxiety seeing, oh, you have to talk about this, this, this. I need some freedom. Well, and I think if we're taught that if we fall or if we go outside the rules, then we've somehow done something wrong. And if we've done something wrong, that's a problem. We have to learn that an error is an error, right? So a child plays and experiments and does things, and the child just intuitively does this. And things can go well, things cannot. It doesn't really matter to the child. It's a part of what we call play. However, as we get older, there's conditions, things that we can or can't do, we're supposed to do or not supposed to do. And they become ways in which we measure our success or failure as to fitting into a community. Right? So we don't fit into a community because we no longer do X, right? as well as somebody else. We get grades, for example. So in school, we go and we do a spelling test. Or we do, somebody says our painting is good, our painting is bad, we're good at gym, we're not good at gym, whatever it is. And we just quantify everything where really what we start realizing is, oh, these are all my deficiencies. These are the ways in which I don't do things well. And now we have introduced the narrative of negativity. And so that's why when we get into this idea of people saying, well, we want control, I don't actually think it's that we want control. I think we were taught that control is the way in which we understand ourselves to others. So I understand myself to you as a classmate because you're a better speller than me. I'm a worse speller. That's a way in which I understand I understand that you're better at push-ups than I am. So then you are, all of these different things become metrics. And then we think, in our day-to-day -day life, I guess we have to use metrics. I guess we have to do it in our love relationships, in our professional relationships. I guess we have to do it in our spiritual relationships. And that seems to me like we're bringing kind of this way of looking at the world into our personal lives to such an extent that it ultimately makes us feel disconnected because we're starting to think, why is everything in my life about these equations? Where am I? And that's why people say, well, who am I? They hit some point in their life where they think, God, I just feel like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing for all of these years, and I just want to wake up. Yeah, it's it's weird how it, by, by doing something differently and not having to um, measure up to these metrics, um, you're getting close to the, the essence of it and the point of it, which is to, I don't know, I, I'm getting something. too close, yeah, to try something different that, that's in there. line with your soul. Exactly. And then the, you're bringing this to people and it catches on and then as soon as it becomes mainstream, mm -hmm. there's this struggle, there's this dichotomy attention where you want it to be mainstream because it's 
it's adding to people's lives and it's good and exciting but as soon as it becomes mainstream it's not exciting anymore mm. because it's mainstream mm. yeah well and mainstream and it becomes a stereotype and by reducing it down to a generic so whether it's a treatment or an outlook or what have you by making an stereotype in the way in which we understand men or women or young or old or any of these different things we say okay this is how we deal with age this is how we deal with gender we're making it's basically a big stereotype and through quote unquote simplifying it we then can reach more people that's the that's the argument right however as individuals we feel that yes we may be old or we may be a male or female whatever it is we may fit into some of these categories but we also feel we're something else and that's when the stereotypes fall apart and so we're boxed into then trying to curtail our inner selves to an outer label. And so all of a sudden, we're thinking, I guess I need to change my inner self to fit the outer label, whether it's gender, age, religion, spirituality, any of these things. And we think, so that means my inner self is wrong. And that's what we end up practicing. And this, this kind of goes off the rails for me because that becomes kind of the root of a great deal of frustration, anxiety, depression, and uh, I think in the context of mediation, the root of a great deal of conflict, because people are getting into disputes, fundamentally because they feel like they themselves are not being heard. I think it's when money comes into it that things fall apart. That when you're doing the thing because it's, it's a good thing to do, and it's good for people, and it helps people, and it helps you, there's a pureness to it that um, makes it really special. So if you look at something like mindfulness. I want to keep the focus on the intentions for tonight and the realizations that you guys first wanted to explore as part of taking the course and then you've had changes with within the experience of doing that and now you've got a new change as to how you intersected with the idea of doing the course and the purpose that it was uh, all about. And so what, what happened for each of you as you took the course to transform your thinking? Well, for me, I feel like I was always kind of on the path of that uh, mediation style form of communication, like asking people what's wrong, what, why did this happen, instead of just trying to you know, make judgments and stuff like that. So I think the, the program really just helped strengthen my beliefs in that way in terms of trying to dig a little deeper um one of my favorite things i got from the course was the i guess mantra you could call it of going out to the balcony basically instead of just reacting emotionally or angry when something doesn't goes your way um take a minute go outside whatever take a deep breath think use your brain think a little bit calm down take, take a pause take a pause and yeah. then go deal with it and I feel like that's way more effective. Whenever I've, I've noticed this, whenever people kind of lose their cool, it makes the situation way worse. So when you, you know, go out to the balcony, I just think that it's going to make things a lot easier for you. And that, to be honest, is the biggest thing I took from the program as a skill. Mm -hmm. I think it's just so, so useful. It's so simple, but people don't do it. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and Jordan? Um, I think... For me, maybe given my age and, and what I've been doing with art and where I've been in, in that process, because I've been moving away from what we've been talking about here is this idea that you have these innovative ideas but then become structured and then you 
become uncomfortable with that. And I've experienced that in music and I've experienced that in film. And mediation represented and taking the chorus represented this idea of getting back to connection for connection's sake. And admittedly, that's a romantic notion. Um, but within that, there was, and to your point about mindfulness, there was this idea of being able to reflect on and experience how we think about things and to value that and the space that that creates mentally. And I think that applies when we're looking at conflict. The idea, for example, of going to the balcony, at least as I interpret it, is the idea of giving ourselves space to contemplate, which is a very, very much rooted in the mindfulness sentiment, mindfulness intentions uh, that go into mindfulness meditation. And I think that overall space is pushing against what we refer to as the age of anxiety, right? where we constantly feel like we don't have time, we don't have space, we don't have an opportunity to explore things beyond stereotypes, we don't have time to be experience things beyond money. And I think that's why money is referred to as con congealed energy, is that it's kind of a faceless entity that gives us an imaginary purpose without defining what that purpose is. And mindfulness reminds us of that, because mindfulness says, well, what is that space? What is that reaction? Going to the balcony reminds us of that. What is that? What is actually happening? What is this conflict about? What does this actually mean? And I think in that way, taking the course and hearing all sorts of, you know, from my fellow 18 members, including Vincent here, their perspectives helped me to have other perspectives on what that could mean, what this space could mean. And so it was an opportunity to, to experience what the space was like, at least in some small way, for these other people. And well, that you, was the huge gift. You were amongst a diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. So how do each of you intersect with the whole notion of diversity when you have an intention of your own and the others or another has a different intention and they're not on aligned or in the same place? To be honest, I think that's just what being a professional is. There's no, I don't think there's any aspect of life where you're only going to deal with one type of person. Like Jordan mentioned, I'm in sales right now. I have to deal with that already. I deal with people of different backgrounds, gender, whatever. You have to adapt to it. Um, if you just talk to someone the same as you're going to talk to someone else, you're going nowhere. It's not going to solve what needs to be solved. You have to, I feel like that's what being a good communicator is, finding out what works for this person and then trying to go down that style um i think though it starts with self it does exactly because you know yes you recognize though you have to recognize have that capacity to exactly. and that skill to recognize and then be able to adapt i feel like it's kind of that host mentality or what, what do you mean you're hosting we'll even say we're you're hosting a party when you're hosting a party you're not going to do things you're not going to cater the party to you. To You You want to make sure your guests have a good time. You might even be a little uncomfortable at your own party, but as long as your guests are having a good time, you're successful. If you're mediating, you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to get the other characters, you know, feeling a little better. You're doing a good job. There are mediators, though, who take the approach that it's the parties or the participants that need to... I have my format, my model you got to fit into my model Fair. rather than the other way where it's client-centric and open where we adapt as the professional to the particular circumstance, the needs, the concerns of the individuals who we're seeking to support. Right, right. I would probably personally relate to the other aspect, but... Yeah, absolutely. You know. What do you want to say as part of this? Well, 
what what I was leading up to um, was that when you when you start um, doing something that is good, like mm. mediation, and when you add to it the making a living doing it um, and having to quantify it and having to kind of meet a level that's expected by society, you you kind you can lose its essence in doing that. So in the during the break we were talking about um, let's say personal injury mediation, which is something that you go to and it's not it's not even recognizable anymore as mediation really, because the clients aren't talking to each other, it's the lawyers talking to each other and nobody wants to say a word, and it's it's lost the essence of mediation. Well, you know. My my mantra and my approach and my philosophy is totally distinct from that kind of structure, though I, I provide that that uh, is one of the approaches and the practices of the practice. And so, uh, you know, for me, it's not to say mediation is this. Mediation can be this and this and this and this. When you use the word mediation, the people, let's say in an academic world, have a very refined, defined, limited sense of what that definition entails. And then I think uh, from the presence of you guys, you have a much more open-ended perspective of what this can be. Well, it's interesting because we're, you know, as mediation students, as people coming into this world, looking around, scratching our heads, seeing the kinds of things that you're, you mentioned, Joni. Right? And then, for example, I got together with a friend of mine, and she works as an insurance adjuster. And she said, I work with mediators all the time. And I said, can I meet with you and you just tell me what that process is? She was very nice. She said, sure. We got together and she described the situation you had said. She goes, we have a five minute meeting, which is basically a hi, how are you? And then we caucus, we go off to our own room and the entire mediation is done separately. And she goes, I just hope I'm with a nice person and I enjoy the catering and I have no contact. She goes, nothing really happens until about three hours before the kind of deadline. And then they put together an agreement and it's done. So, yes, we can see mediation as many things, but I think that struck me as discount lawyers. And it's basically what it's saying is these are less expensive ways in which we can use lawyers. So it's not going to take us as long, so it's going to cost us less. Um, maybe their hourly rate is different. Maybe they don't have an administrative cost, whatever it is. So that's going to come down. So now the lawyer will cost us, let's say it's $1,500 for the day, as opposed to it being protracted process that takes however long and costs us tens of thousands. So I think of that mediation as discount lawyer mediation, which can be a valid part of mediation, right? I don't think, I, I don't really care, but in terms of the mediation, I think we're talking about where to mediate, that is to be between, right? To express something within or like an interlocutor. You are then placing yourself in between parties for whatever outcome. I don't think we're placing ourselves in between parties if those parties won't be in the same room, if those parties have hard positions. Well, because there has been historically a what we call shuttle mediation, mm -hmm. where people are not in the same room. And that is a process that, for one, in human rights it happens. If you go to the Human Rights Commission and the tribunal, mm -hmm. they generally don't have parties in the same room. There is the mediation that used to be practiced through what's called Financial Services Commission of Ontario when you had an auto accident. Mm -hmm. That was all done on the phone, 95% mm -hmm. of them. You don't necessarily have to be in the room. I appreciate 
totally what your perspective is and what you're looking to put out there. And I'm all of that same passion. As well, I've learned over my years that just because I believe this and I practice this, this is not the only way. Not everybody aligns with my mindset and my approach. And I think the, the uh, benefit of this is that there are different ways to engage people because of the diverse nature of people. So there needs to be different approaches. But do you think reconciliation can occur at the same time as alienation? I'm not interested in uh, reconciliation per se. That's not a, an intention of my process. I see mediation even as an opportunity for two people who struggle to have a conversation about something and so they get assistance by the having the presence of someone to help them have that conversation. So there's no concrete, per se, conflict, no substantive issue. It can go to that. It can be. Many times it is. It can just be a space and a place for people to have a conversation in a supportive way. That's how I would look. So they define and they determine because the power that I see is self-determination. But in terms of two people in a room, which you mentioned, mm -hmm. those, that's two people in a room. Yeah. Uh, so that's they're sharing a space. They're a part of a conversation. If we have uh, an approach to mediation that puts people in different rooms, then what does that mean? We can call that arbitration. We can call it mediation. I, I don't really care. But in terms of understanding that there's some kind of difference, regardless of the name we give it, between uh -huh. a discussion, let's just even call it a conversation, a conversation between people that are in different rooms with somebody else shuttling because that person is interpreting information as they pass back and forth, and you're not yeah. getting it because you're not seeing how in the way in which you're not seeing I totally like get into your deeper story and yeah. your perspective. And unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about that, because, and that's a great conversation. There's so many variables and factors as to this whole notion of what, quote, mediation is and supposed to be, and that's part of the struggle. And I think struggle is great. Mm -hmm. I celebrate struggle. Not that I promote it. It's just, it's a reality of humankind. And how do we intersect with the, those moments of struggle? Mm -hmm. Well, we try and find a compassionate, empathic way to help intersect and support and help people through those. I agree. I mean, um, I think it's really cool that mediation can be kind of defined in a bunch of different ways. If you have 10 mediators, they do things, each one of them does it differently. I think that's super cool. It's uh, like there's different genres within the, the actual mediation. So I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, and I also think you have to kind of find your own way to do it. Um, that's why when we were in the program, we had kind of coaches who I didn't really, I didn't really relate to their style at all. I probably wouldn't take too much away from them. But then we had other coaches where I kind of was vibing with a little more. Mm -hmm. and, you, there and, you and why would that be, though, for you? Um, to give you one example, we've already harped on it, but one coach was more a little more point A, point B, point C, have to do it. In this order, in a formal, way. structured yes. manner, exactly. a little semantic. Yeah, it doesn't work for me, at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a good thing that she showed me that way because it kind of showed me, all right, I don't have to necessarily do that because there's other coaches that were a little more open-minded, not open-minded, but uh, a well, different, a variable different. of the whatever the mantra called exactly mediation. Exactly. So I think that kind of goes into what we're talking about here. There's no 
one way to do thing and when you're talking to sometimes the mediator will go meet with the just only do caucuses i think there is a place for that too i was part of a mediation one time and it was a bunch of lawyers in the room and they didn't did you get space to talk did you have a voice i was not i did not have a voice i was just a fly on the wall but what was what were they really going to say they're lawyers just going to get you know what i mean but this is the interesting thing is once you introduce lawyers and that dynamic of procedure essentially it is a different procedure so think of it this way we decide we're going to play sports on sunday you show up with a volleyball i show up with a baseball bat somebody else shows up with a frisbee what sport are we going to play there's a certain kind of context uh, we create something new we can create something new but in this context if a lawyer says i'm going to be a lawyer and i'm going to show up and be a lawyer okay that's fine but then a mediator says i'm going to show up and be a mediator but I guess I'm subordinate to the lawyer. So now what we need to do is we need to fit mediation or find a way within mediation to accept that which the lawyer is saying, this is what we're going to do regardless, which raises questions about, well, what role is mediation playing when it's subordinate to another structure? That's the thing that becomes strange to me. It's fine for my discount lawyer model, which is fine, but if we're talking about mediation, I think you have to have parties in the room. And there's been countless numbers of incidents and, and situations where communities have gotten together to deal with the most unimaginable things, and they've dealt with it in a form of mediation that we wouldn't even, they weren't calling mediation. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll present to as shuttle mediation as well is when there's a situation of control and abuse, many times from intimate relationships. So the relationship has provided that there's a child of the relationship. So there's concerns with the parties being in the same room together mm-hmm. because there's a history of abuse, control, violence, and that can be in many forms, not just physical, it's emotional, mental, spiritual. So the people will not be in the same room. There is a foundational need for them to have decision-making made, though, as part of how are we going to care for the child. So shuttle mediation is a creation to help support the opportunity that an absolute process doesn't fit a one-size-fit-all doesn't work well i agree with what you say i mean i my problem is not so much with the caucusing um caucusing can be very powerful if it's or the or the separate meetings yeah the separate meeting is um it can be very useful and very helpful in a lot of ways my problem with the discount lawyer situation you're talking about and that i'm talking about is more that even when they're together in the same room, the client doesn't have their own voice. They have their lawyer's voice, and their voice is subordinate. And I've watched people's body language show them growing smaller and smaller and going into themselves more. As the goal becomes more about money and them getting them the money they want and them seeing the numbers go down, and less about them talking about the impact on them of the conflict and that's what I mean about it not really being mediation it's something else but to me it doesn't feel like mediation there isn't that decision-making client to client party to party where they explain how they feel about the situation and they work it out it's lawyers posturing and going back and the term mediation really doesn't suit also my mindset it's just it's a helpful way for us to explain to others. So what do you do? Well, I'm a mediator. If I start to go into, 
well, I consult, I coach, I facilitate, I do all this. And it takes more time and effort. And a lot of times people don't have, uh, don't provide that opportunity for you to explain. So you have this quick fix definition. I'm struggling with it and I'm really trying to challenge myself to come up with some other kind of terminology. I think it does us a disservice, to tell you the truth, to do that kind of Boxing? Shorthand. Put things into boxes? Yeah. That mm, life in general, that's what people make, people try and make it easy for and themselves. And the struggle. Yeah. I but also, sorry to interrupt, I also think if people want to learn, there's ways to do that. If, um, you know, if you tell someone I'm a mediator and then they say, oh, cool, and that's the end of the discussion, probably weren't interested anyway. But, you know what I mean? If or they didn't even hear that word. Exactly. They heard meditate. Yeah. And so I'm levitating. Meteor. Um, but you know what? It, it, I think it, it has to fall on the, the people, too. If you want to learn more, you have to be, you have to seek out some knowledge sometimes, too. We, Jordan and I both mm. did with taking the course. Um, it goes both ways. Relationships are a flow. Exactly. It's not only f about self. I, I mean, I can have a relationship with myself. I don't know how productive and healthy that is. I think the ideal is to engage with another. Exactly. And that's where the richness of difference and incorporating other into me and me into other, it becomes something else. I like the term mediate. I, I just think one of the ways in which a, any piece of language, any word is commandeered is somebody else comes in and and imposes their meaning on it. And so I, I often use the example of the word radical. Radical, the etymological root of radical is to get to the root of. It's a relatively innocuous word. However, the association that we have with the term radical has been to become radicalized, to become almost a terrorist or some kind of evil... Yeah, it's appropriated into another notion. And it's not what the word means. And I think with mediation, if you introduce lawyers and discount lawyers and the legal system from that perspective into mediation, they're simply just taking over that word. So I'm more interested in taking back that word and saying, no, be a lawyer. We need lawyers. Do your job as a lawyer. That's invaluable. But it's not helpful if we just make a mess of this and we say, okay, well, it's kind of mediation sometimes, sort of. And then we get into this kind of sort of dichotomy where... It's not really this and it's not really that, which just confuses people. And then we're arguing over the confusion. And then people are saying, well, I don't know what mediation is because I, I don't know. I give up. Well, the problem is the role of the lawyer. So in litigation, in court, the lawyer is speaking for the client. Yeah. That's what they do. That's what they're paid to do. In mediation, they're there to advise their client, but their client is supposed to have the voice. Mm -hmm. What do you want to go with? Where do we want to pick it up from? Yeah, because we have the a last term, segment here. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about the term mediation and the way in which it may have been reframed by individuals, and we don't necessarily agree with what that reframing is. We can we can think about another term, or we can think about the impact that, in this case, lawyers. But I think also uh, the judicial system, um, uh, the administrative role that even mediators themselves start investing themselves in, uh, all of these things impact mediation on the level of a conversation because they are, like we had started off talking about, external factors that are in getting in the way of or impeding or telling us that there's a way in which we should or should not have a conversation. And that creates, like we talked about in regards to money, a whole new set of ramifications. And it makes it messy. So the question is, is how do we start to untangle some of these things. Well, if even if it is it important to untangle? 
Like when you talk about having this definition, is that about your self-interest to do something? In terms of the... To me, language just gives us a really broad way. So coming from a musical background, if I put a C on the page, all it's really saying is here's a note. It's not going to really tell you much more. Even if I put pianissimo below it or a sortendo or whatever I do, it's still actually not giving you that much information. So there is always, and it's implicit, that there's an interpretation. Similarly with, with, with language, right? That's why poetry exists. Poetry is saying, okay, well, what if I put these words in this combination, write them in this way, use them in this way, create these illusions and associations? Because there is something beyond the word. That's the fundamental premise of poetry is that something exists beyond the word. So I think similarly in mediation, just because you put two people in a room talking about an issue, that's just the surface. That's just a note on the page. That's just a line of poetry. What is beneath that? I think when we get caught on the semantic level and then try and or hope that it's going to somehow reveal this underlying mystery, I think that's the trap. Right? At the end of the day, we just have a couple of general kind of things, and then we're saying, okay, what is underneath? Where is it? When people panic, they then want to take control. So, Vincent, you, you know, you didn't say this that I know of. You do a podcast. What's right. that called? Versatile Vigilante Podcast. Why do you do that? I do that because it's. I can say whatever I want to say. I could have friends on. Jordan's been on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um anything you want to get off your mind you can do it and what what is that why do you want to do that what does it mean to you i want to do that because a it's something creative where you know you can it's a, like a networking opportunity meet some other interesting people but for me i'm going to have these things on my mind anyway i'm going to bother my friends with it you know you know make make them a little annoyed at me i'd rather just put it out there maybe it catches uh catches someone else's attention are you trying to provoke for some kind of change in society overall um to be honest with you i don't really care what other people do and we're talking from your point of view huh? yeah I'm, is, I'm, your, <laughs> is it your intention to I try to provoke I agitate um not not intentionally but if you know if what i say aggravates you then well, you well know agitates agitates There's a yeah. difference for me it could ag aggravate someone. Yeah. So it's not if if you were asked that if that's my intention, I would say no. But it would would it? I'm sure it would. And but I'm, you're an I'm observer, right? Like because I remember you Absolutely. telling me a story of being a kid and your mother sent you not too long ago. So yeah, you were like, and there was a, you were a kid. You just right. you just watch people. You'd watch and and you said you took comfort in realizing, yeah, that's the way I've been my entire yeah, life. Hundred percent. So you enjoy observation without necessarily inciting anything. Because when you talk to me about the show, you're like, yeah, we just talk, see what happens. There was just... Yeah, no, 100%. We can talk about... We've talked about serious topics, but <laughs> that's just because I want to talk about it. Wouldn't you say that all your topics are serious? I mean, if they mean something to a person like you 100%. and the other person that's part of that conversation, you know, give it credit from my point of view. 100%. 100%. That's... So I don't. Do. I don't want to do the show. That's why I do. I don't watch too much news because I care about what I've got going on. Sure. You know what I mean. Put it out there. Exactly. More power to the individual and it's such Appreciate as yourself. That. Appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, plug. First how do people? How do people? How do people connect with that? Anyways. It's just like Greg. It's on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. I'm gonna get you guys some stickers very shortly. That's a promise. Yeah. 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 I've yeah, been yeah. promising that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
No, and what's I it mean, called again? Versatile Vigilante. All right. Yeah. Stage name Uncle Vinny. <laughs> well, that stands for Vincent Arnoni. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. The big V. That's right. Joni, what do you want to say in soon closer? Well, I think that that's a fantastic idea, just to be able to say the truth. There's so much um, pushing down of people being able to speak their truth, and there's so much um, confusion around what's the truth, and there's just so much um, trying to control each other um, going on. And I, I think that's a real... Um, push for something mm. for something meaningful and great even though it sounds like what you really wanted to do is just like agitate a, a lot more people than just your friends and I think when people <laughs> want to control others it's really about the insecurity of oneself to project oneself onto other without allowing the space for the other or another person to fill it in for themselves you know that's what we learn in mediation the difference of judgment and curiosity judgments where you basically filled in the blanks you've made assumptions curiosity is that space is provided for the individual to self-determine and self-express what do you want to say yeah i think you know what i liked about vincent's show and and that that perspective on making stuff and it gets back to what we kind of started with which was when you introduce money and you introduce ego essentially and you start to say okay well it's got to fit into this larger structure it has to be more grand that fundamentally feeds an insecurity. Right? The insecurity being, my true self is external to me, and I need to do things that are externally recognized to make me happy. I think if you decide to make art, if you decide to make anything, if you value communication, you do it for its own experience, literally its own experience. And when you approached me about the show and doing it, and then the way you hosted the show, it just seemed like, here's a guy who just wants to have a conversation. There is no extra motive, ulterior motive. And I think that's really important in getting back to the idea of mediation. I think when you're working with people, not even in a mediation context, but just in people in your life, and getting back to this idea you had mentioned earlier about being able to, to kind of detect people being genuine or disingenuine, is you are then coming from a place where you're just actually listening. You're just actually present. You're just actually there. And when that happens, that's actually a huge kind of shedding of our clothing. And can I quantify that? Mm -hmm. It's empathic listening. Like yeah. It's attentive listening because you care in some way to mm -hmm. listen. You're not just sitting there passively, etc., etc. Yeah, you're curious. You're just yeah. open. You're open. You're nude. Well, you're, you're going to get the, the other one on the end there, uh, really uh, going on that one. We have to close out for tonight. Thank you, each of you. Thank you. Thank you. Vincent and Jordan. Appreciate it. Thank and, you. And uh, Joni for the contribution. You know, People have voice. The power is in finding a way to get it out there. So, you've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610 AM.